0: The assumption that God is synonymous with power has run throughout history. Many people today, whether they believe in God or not, equate God with power. And imagine that power is about the domination of others. When we take for granted this distorted view, we miss just how radical a view of God the New Testament proposes. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the very idea that God would take the form of a man and come to earth was foolishness to most people who lived during the time of the Bible. The idea that God would then be a servant of others was even more foolish. But the pinnacle of foolishness for many was the idea that this God would then allow himself to be killed. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians one twenty three that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. The popular view of deity or God was that he had to be powerful, that he had to be using his power to bring others into submission to him. And yet Jesus came and he said, I'm among you as one who serves. Today as we continue in our study in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we're going to be talking about the upside-down kingdom that Jesus came teaching and proclaiming, where the first shall be last and the greatest shall be the servant of all. And I want to say to you this this morning that not only did Jesus the man incarnate God, not only did he define true masculinity, not only did he epitomize real servanthood, but because of these three, he also is a model of excellence in leadership. So the fact that he was incarnate God, that he defined true masculinity, that he epitomized real servanthood means that he is a model of excellence in leadership. In Mark chapter 10, we read of yet another time when Jesus pauses to tell his disciples what is going to happen in Jerusalem. They leave the area of Jordan. We've been talking about that area. We notice in verse 46 of Mark 10 that they pass through Jericho, which is near the northern end of the Dead Sea, just over 1,000 feet below sea level. And just 14 miles away is the city of Jerusalem, at an elevation of 2,500 feet above sea level. So when people spoke about going to Jerusalem, generally they spoke about going up to Jerusalem. And let's now look at Mark chapter 10, the scripture reading this morning. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 32. And um, I'd ask you to stand with me as we hear God's word read to us. Mark 10, 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise." And be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many this is god's word in luke chapter 9:51 we read the passage where it says that jesus set his face toward jerusalem and we've come to see in our study of the gospel of mark how Uh, Jesus' earthly ministry was now coming to uh, a close and he was intent on pursuing the reason why he came to earth embracing the Father's will for his life nothing would deter him nothing would distract him he was resolved to go up to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover even though he knew what awaited him there John's gospel tells us that on this time uh, something that the other three gospels do not say that at this stage of the ministry of Jesus, they get sent a word from Mary and Martha, the brother of Lazar, the sisters of Lazarus, that he is sick. Now Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were good friends of Jesus, and yet when he hears about the urgent request to come, Jesus waits two more days, we read in John 11:6, He's on his way to Jerusalem and the town of Bethany where Lazarus lived, was only two miles east of jerusalem and so after waiting two more days jesus then says to the 12 let us go back to judea and the disciples respond by saying but rabbi a short while ago they tried to kill you there instead of responding to them jesus says he's going back because lazarus is dead and he's going to raise him from the dead and sarcastically thomas responds by saying well let us also go that we may die with him and so this passage in John tells us that the disciples are becoming more and more aware of what is waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem, and how it might even implicate on them. In chapter ten thirty-two of Mark, that says that they were astonished at his plan, while others were actually f- afraid. And so in this and other passages like it, Jesus models what what s- servant leadership is all about. And I must confess that as even I use the terminology of servant leadership. There was a time in my ministry when I would have avoided it because it, to me, had the appearance of being an almost invisible, wimpy, spineless kind of leadership that does whatever it's told, never ruffles the feathers, avoids taking sides, and generally acquiesces to anyone on almost anything. One author puts it this way, the popular myth is that serving turns you soft, that it robs you of your self-respect, self-worth, and dignity that serving reduces you to a doormat, that it is the product of weakness. However, in reality, the opposite is true. It turns out that it is the person who lacks self-esteem who finds it hardest to serve others, to put others' interests first. Self-centered behavior is a symptom of insecurity, and the ability to serve is born not out of weakness, but out of strength. So let's take a look at Mark 10, and and you'll notice in your sermon notes that are in the bulletin that, that there are four characteristics of servant leadership that Jesus models. The first thing I'd like to say is that Jesus led the way. Verse 32, a servant leader points the way for others by example. It says in verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Pretty obvious point, leaders must lead, but how they lead and exert influence is key. And Mark describes Jesus in this passage almost like a a military commander out in front of the troops uh, leading the procession up to Jerusalem. Sometimes the New Testament does present Jesus that way, like in Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But the primary way that Jesus is depicted was more the, the humble Jesus by example. We see, for example, on the night before his crucifixion, he bows and he washes the feet of the disciples in John 13. After he's done that, he puts aside the towel and he sits down at his place again and he says to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do As I have done for you. So a servant leader points the way, but they do it most by example. A worldly leader will often pass off the hard things, delegate the tough stuff, speak about high ideals, but live at a lower plane. A servant leader has what is called integrity in what he or she is doing, showing and how he or she lives. Webster's online dictionary stated that the word integrity was one of the most looked up words in recent years. In 2005, actually, it topped the list of most looked up words in online dictionaries, the word integrity. In the Latin form base, its origin is integratis, which is where we get the math term integer from. An integer is a whole number that is not divided. A life of integrity is a life that is not divided or compartmentalized. Who you are in one situation is who you are in another situation when it comes to core values. In Philippians 2, we see this about Jesus. It says that Jesus, being in very nature God, was made to be in human likeness. And then he adds, Paul adds, that he was in nature, or in essence, a servant of In other words, integrity is shown in the life of Jesus because he could be a servant in all situations because that was his nature. He was not uh, putting on an act. He was not playing a role. He was in nature a servant. And if we're going to be servants truly, then we cannot merely have cosmetic servitude. We have to have the nature of a servant, which means having the spirit of Jesus upon us. And then we will no longer serve out of obligation, out of keeping track, out of grudge, etc., grudgingly, but instead from a heart of joy. It's a sure sign that we are serving in the flesh instead of the spirit when we start focusing on what we're losing instead of what someone else is gaining through our servanthood. So Jesus led by example. Secondly, Jesus pressed on. A servant leader moves into hard places with faith and courage. Jesus knew that going up to Jerusalem meant going to to death. Everyone around him was warning him about the dangers there. And uh, and yet in verse 32 to 34 of Mark 10, he takes the 12 aside for the third time, and he explains what's going to happen. And so he presses on and he presses into the hard places. A servant leader also does this with faith and courage. And it applies to all of us in various ways. For all of us, at some level, are called to be leaders in some capacity. We're called to press into the very place, to the very thing that we want to maybe run from. We, see, uh, we, see, we saw pictures this past week on television of a terrible catastrophe, the marathon bomb that blew up in Boston. Another one was the explosion of that fertilizer plant in Texas. And we noticed on on the TV Footage every week we see this all around the world it happens a catastrophe occurs and while some of the crowds are running away from the scene there are other that are running toward the scene they are the firefighters the police the paramedics the first responders who require the heart of a servant leader in order to press into the very hard place that most people would instinctively run from that's what we're called to be and it requires courage. The English word courage is, is from the French word for heart. And so therefore often you'll hear that to have courage means to take heart. And to lose courage or, or to be discouraged is to lose heart. And similarly we, we can encourage by giving someone a heart for something. Two weeks ago I spoke about um, God's plan for marriage in the sense of the two key words, leaving and cleaving. And the cleaving is, is, is such a strong and tight word that the idea is that you cleave to the one you love so that no other foreign substance can get between you. No, nobody, nobody can divide what God has brought together. And in marriage, it is required, this cleaving, because when your pride is getting beat up, And when your self-image is getting bruised in that relationship, and when everything in you wants to run away from that person that you're supposed to cleave to, then the servant leader in you, the Spirit of Jesus, moves closer into that problem. And I want to speak to men, especially this morning, just for a moment, that I want to encourage all of us men to look to Jesus as our role model of genuine masculinity. We've all had models in our lives of men. Some have been wonderful models, some have been negative or not good models of masculinity. And um, yet, I, I just, we all know that every human model falls short. And God wants us to focus our attention on Jesus the true model of masculinity there is a deep need for husbands and fathers today to not abandon their post many rationalize by saying that the the problem is between their wife and their child or the problem is between two children and so somehow the father can wash his hands of it but a servant leader can't do that he moves into the war zone in faith and encourage And I'm not talking about an authoritarian Rambo approach to solving problems, which we men can often do. We just want to fix things and not really listen. I'm talking about the soft, compassionate, yet firm and clear approach, a relational approach. Too often we husbands can be impatient and we don't want to get down and dirty in the trenches of relational conflict. But servant leaders wade into the problems even when they're not your own problem it's like here at at our church family at white ridge baptist church we cannot as pastoral staff or as board members we cannot say well the problem is with the, the the men's group or the women's group or the life groups or the problem is with that committee or this committee if there's a problem in the house then the problem is with the leadership over the house that applies to marriage and family life it applies to business it applies to politics it applies to church because that's what servant leadership does and that leads us to our our next point and that is that jesus called people together when there was a problem a servant leader works for relational harmony with mercy and fairness it's hard for us to understand the context of jesus telling the twelve about what is coming in jerusalem and then two of his closest friends coming to him with the kind of requests they do in verses 35 to 40. James and John approach Jesus privately. (coughs) Excuse me. They approach him privately and they ask him to do whatever they ask for. A strange blank check request. Matthew's gospel adds that it was their mother Salome that put them up to this in chapter 20 verse 20. And we have good reason to believe that she indeed was uh, present. She was a sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And that would make James and John, Jesus' first cousins, and Salome, his aunt. And so there's really a very good possibility here that, that there was the hope that somehow the family connection with Jesus would serve to garnish some future favor for the two brothers. And, of course, we see that occur in the world all around us, this, this nepotism. But Jesus, a servant leader, is not swayed even by family ties. We've seen this in Scripture and Mark already, as we've seen. And Jesus asked the two brothers what they want. It turns out to be an absolutely selfish request for glory and honor. They want to sit on his right and left in his kingdom. Can you imagine? In Bible times, the right was a position of honor and the left was reserved for an intimate friend. So this was an inappropriate request that arises out of a false sense of entitlement and personal ambition. It's attempting to beat the other ten disciples to the request kind of, kind of like calling shotgun on kingdom things or dibs on honored places. And how Jesus responds shows us a servant leader who works for relational harmony With mercy and fairness. Notice what happens. Jesus acknowledges that they will drink the cup that he will drink. This is a metaphor in the Old Testament for suffering. Isaiah 51, 17, and 22 shows us that. He also says that they will be baptized with the same baptism as he, a metaphor again for being plunged into suffering, like Psalm 42, 7 suggests. Actually, James. The apostle would be the first of the 12 to be martyred. We read in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. John would be martyred, persecuted many years later by the Romans at the end of a long life. We read about it in Revelation 1, verse 9. But Jesus goes on to say to the two brothers, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And so here is an incredible point. Jesus, as a servant leader tells the two that not only is this none of your business as to where you're sitting in kingdom but it's none of mine either he says and it tells us something very critical about servant leadership and that is that servant leadership submits to other leadership jesus submitted to the sovereign will of his father and it's one of the guiding lights for all servant leaders that the knowledge that we are under someone else's authority That we will be called to give an account one day. That we exercise authority because it's been a delegated authority and we're under authority and we act it out in the fear of the Lord. One of the convictions that we have, for example, as we gather this evening for Pastor Kevin's ordination, is that what we do tonight does not confer on Kevin anything at all, really. Rather, what we do tonight is affirm what has already been conferred on him by God alone when we lay our hands on him and pray for him it it will be because we recognize that the mighty hand of God has already been on Kevin and we believe in the sovereign appointment of those who have been appointed to leadership J. Oswald Saunders writes in his book spiritual leadership that the word ambition comes from a Latin word meaning campaigning for promotion he says the phrase suggests a variety of elements social visibility approval popularity peer recognition the exercise of authority and Ambi- ambitious people in this sense enjoy the recognition of power that comes with position and authority and money but jesus is is defining greatness in a completely new standard Now in verse 41, we read that when the other 10 disciples hear about what James and John have done, they're indignant, they're angry. And what does Jesus do? Does he tell them, you 12 work this out on your own? No, he calls them all together. Because Jesus believed that if there was a problem in the camp, it was his problem. If there was a problem among the 12, it was his problem. A servant leader does not wash his hands of any matter like Pilate did at the crucifixion of Jesus. A servant leader moves into the problem area, calls the people together to work for relational harmony in mercy and in fairness. And Jesus is an example of that. Well, finally, um, fourthly, I want to look at verses 42 to 45 of Mark 10. A servant leader uses greatness and authority to serve and to give to others in many places today both in the political arena and in private enterprise human authority is all about control the circulation of who is on top simply results in more of the same just the names have been changed pagan leadership is rooted in self-interest lording it over others using authority and position to advance personal agendas the disciples had been taught by the other Jewish rabbis that when the Messiah comes that what he will do is he will right the wrongs that the Romans have, have committed against them. He will, he will then put the Romans on the bottom and elevate Israel to its natural birthright position on top. But when Jesus comes preaching his kingdom, the upside-down kingdom is a, a different sort of upside-down kingdom. The greatest among you, Jesus said, must become the servant of all and the first shall be the last." Wow! How do we work that out in our everyday lives? He said, even the Son of Man, even Jesus, the eternal God, did not come to be served on earth, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This term, ransom, was used for a compensation for personal injury Or a crime against you. It was a purchasing word. The freedom of a slave at a certain ransomed price. It actually had three ideas. One was that the shame and guilt had to be atoned for by a blood sacrifice. We see in the early pages of Genesis. When Adam and Eve had sinned against the Lord. The very first indication of this blood sacrifice is in the skin of animals that are used for clothing to cover up the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve in their sin. The first death in Scripture was not able. It was animals as a sacrifice. Second thing is about, about this ransom redemption theme is that God himself would provide the necessary sacrifice for sin. And thirdly, that the sacrifice had to be unblemished, And so this idea of a payment being made, a substitute in the place of the sinner being given, a perfect sacrifice, unblemished, all of this comes together in the New Testament when the words redemption and ransom are used. And all of it comes into clear focus in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God the unblemished, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who is our substitute, who is also the one who comes as the kinsman redeemer, the one who comes and redeems those who are lost and in slavery to sin. And so this idea of being in place of is clearly in Scripture. So in this morning's message, as we've considered it, the the leadership the servant leadership of Jesus is Jesus led the way a servant leader points the way for others by example Jesus pressed on a servant leader moves into hard places with faith and courage Jesus called together a servant leader works for relational harmony with mercy and fairness and Jesus served and gave a servant leader uses greatness and authority to serve and to give to others as we think about how to apply this, I guess I want to ask you, in what areas of your life do you feel called to lead by example? You know you have an influence. Where is that? What are some of the hard places that require more faith for you to move into? You'd, rather, you'd want to run from it, maybe. But where is it that God's calling you to move into it with faith and with courage, trusting Him? And then what about in relational tensions that you might live under or in that are difficult, that would make you want to avoid, but servant leaders work toward harmony and healing, even if it's not your personal problem, as God said, you're the one that's called into this to help mediate, to help solve, to help speak peace into it. What can we learn from Jesus in his treatment of the 12 in this passage? And then, Thirdly, how should our use of authority be different than what we see in the world? I'm sure that you can think of many examples where abuse of authority has been modeled. How is it that Christ alone can give you not only the model that you need, but also the power of humility and love and strength under control to be able to to be that servant leader in that situation? I've asked uh, Kevin and the worship team to sing a song uh, that um, is an old hymn and the, the first lines are make me a captive Lord and then I shall be free force me to render up my sword and I shall conqueror be this, uh, this is the idea we come and we, we lead because we are very aware that we are already under the wonderful authority of Jesus' leadership. May God bless us all to be more like him. Amen.